Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. Every day on I Work For Him, it's our desire to just challenge the way you look at your faith as it relates to your workplace. And so today, we're brought back with repeat guest, Dr. Larry Peabody. He's a professor at the Bakke Graduate University way out in Washington State. And today we're talking about how we can help churches do church like the New Testament church. And we're talking about that because really... People aren't going to church anymore. New people aren't joining churches. For not, not, not unequivocally, but for the most part, people aren't going to church. We need to bring church to them. We've lost the battle of the culture so far, and now we need to take the culture battle to the workplace and start loving people the way Jesus loved them. And in order to do that, we need to know how the, how the early church do it, because the early church transformed the Roman culture so much that a Roman emperor said, this Jesus thing is so incredible, everybody needs to follow Jesus. Larry Peabody, welcome back to I Work For Him. Well, good to be with you, Jim. Sorry, that was a little bit of a long diatribe. I apologize, but I just want to make sure people, they, they hear my heart, because it is, we have the hope in us. We know we know the hope. We have hope because of Jesus, and people aren't going to hear about it unless we bring it to the workplace, whatever that workplace may be. And it really is about transforming the church culture to be more like the New Testament church, which was a vibrant part of the community. And it impacted the community from one end to the other. And it so impacted the community, it impacted the world. It turned an empire upside down. 
Absolutely, yeah. All right, and I'll read Acts. I'll read Acts two forty two to forty seven because that's really the basis for our conversation today. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's powerful. That's powerful. Larry, how how did you get a passion for this? Well, I, I, for a long time, have felt that the Church uh, really needs uh, to be participatory. We we come and we sit. uh, I think we've changed the body of Christ from a family and a body into an audience. And people become passive because they just kind of sit and listen to a lecture and listen to a concert and then go home. Well, we call it a sanctuary, and people treat it like that. They come in to yeah. escape from the world. Yes, it's, uh, you know, we, we talk about a wildlife sanctuary, you know, and, and that's where they can just come and kind of rest and, and do nothing. But that's really not what the church is supposed to be about. So let, let's step back for a minute, Larry, and let's just make it personal. Let's talk about how Christ is making an impact in your life today. Well, I think it's pretty clear that we're living in the what Paul called the terrible times in his letter to Timothy, second letter. And in in these terrible times, uh, the Spirit of Christ uh, sustains me, gives me hope in the face of depressing news, all kinds of depressing news. And then beyond that, only Christ tells me the truth about myself, which is not always pleasant and the truth about the world that I live in, which is also not always pleasant, but there's good news in the middle of both of those. And the good news, that's right, it's not good news, it's great news. I mean, it's it's great. We have hope. You You talk about depressing news. Right before we went on the air, I got a Fox News alert. Hackers stole 21.5 million Social Security numbers yesterday. Well, yeah. Yeah, just for fun, just for fun. That and they shut down the Wall Street Journal. They shut down the New York Stock Exchange and United Airlines just because they could. So, yeah, it it makes it interesting. It it makes it interesting. But the cool part is this just all shows we live in an evil world. But but it starts to drive such a huge dichotomy between good and evil. All of a sudden, those that are truly Christ followers out there, their light is going to grow brighter because the darkness has gotten darker. It sure has. Amen. You know, you've got a doctorate. This is so interesting. I, I love this. You've got a doctorate with an emphasis on the theology of work from Bakke Graduate University. Do I have that correct? Yes. Okay. So we talked about this a little bit the last time you're on, but I really want to focus on that because that's a new thing. I, I, I got to believe it's a new thing because I've never met another theologian that had a doctorate with that kind of an emphasis. Now, but I'm starting to hear about it. I'm starting to hear about seminaries that are training pastors on how to run a business. I'm starting to hear about pastors that are really being trained on equipping workplace believers. So it seems like a a wave, a trend is starting to happen. But how did you get drawn into that? How did the Lord, how did he direct you into that? Well, uh, about four years ago, I was uh, uh, 
well, I befriended a man in, in up in Bellevue near Seattle, and he had written a book on workplace, and I happened to discover that. Um, long story short, I called him, and uh, long story even shorter, uh, we went together to a Bakke Graduate University course back in Washington, D.C., the other Washington we say out here. And uh, it was that was my introduce my introduction to uh, to the Bakke Graduate University. The professor there was Paul Stevens, along with Gwen Dewey, and it was on the theology of work. So that was my introduction to uh, the Bakke Graduate University. And when you heard that, did the Holy Spirit just stir something in your heart and go, "Wow, that's something I got to get involved in"? Well, yeah, I mean, it had been on my heart for years. I. I think we talked last time, I originally wrote a book back in 1974 uh, called Secular Work is Full-Time Service. And so this was not a new subject to me, but I found very few people who, uh, especially back in 1974, who were even thinking in those terms. So this was a great encouragement to me to find a school that uh, one of its main emphases was... uh, the theology of work. So so for people that may be interested in, in first of all, people in Florida, if they ever go to Washington State, I just had a good friend, one of the, a, a guy that I'm involved in a mentoring relationship with, just spent a week going to, to a, a graduate level calculus course in just outside of Seattle, and he, he goes, don't ever go to Washington State in July, because it was awesome there, because here, every day it's 95, and then it goes down to 80 at night. That's it. You know, it's, it's 80, and it rains every day. And he said it was just spectacularly beautiful. So people in Florida need to hear about how incredible Washington is, but talk about how people can get involved at Bakke, Bakke Graduate University. Is, is there online learning? Is it only on campus? Oh, no, there is really no campus in the sense they have they have some offices. But, yes, it's, uh, it's all around the world. In fact, uh, some of our key people are in Florida. And... Uh, my my classes uh, are online for the most part, and um, I have students uh, in you know, Nigeria, uh, in in uh, Asia, all kinds of places around the world, Jamaica, Guyana, and so uh, it's it's really easy to get involved with Bakke Graduate University if uh, if you have the desire to do so. Well, wow. so they can find out. What's the website again? Well, the, the website for Baki is www.bgu.edu. BGU.edu. I'll make sure I put that on Facebook tonight. I, I know your website's called into work, called into work.com, but I want to yeah. make sure the BGU.edu, I like that. That's good. Yes. Uh-huh. That's cool. Uh, it was founded uh, back in 1990, uh, really under the name Northwest Graduate School, um, and uh, it was it was to serve uh, pastors here in the Northwest, but as time passed, it went over to an independent board. And uh, Dr. Ray Bakke, who is a global and urban expert known around the world, really, uh, he accepted the position of chancellor and, and distinguished professor of urban ministry. And uh, then later, that school merged with the International Urban Associates. By then, the graduates or, or the, the students were coming from all around the world, and so they had to drop the Northwest name, and they decided on Baki because their uh, the whole Baki family is involved, 
uh, Ray Bakke, who's probably the best known in church circles, Dennis Bakke, who was the uh, co-founder and uh, CEO of the largest energy company in the world, AES, and then Lowell Bakke, who was a pastor for 20 years. Uh, all of them were participating in the, the the new school. So if people want to find well, out more, they can go online to Bakke, bgu.edu, bakkegraduateuniversity.edu, bgu.edu. For, to find out more, hey, you can get a, you can get a doctorate from Bakke Graduate University in, with an emphasis on the theology of work. And you can get some of your classes. Other, go ahead. Yeah, I know there's other things as well. I mean, they, they I know, but I'm just pushing them. the one that I really want people to learn. <laughs> But there's master's degrees in that as well. Well, I figured, so I figured you got to start with a master's. Most people don't have both, so you start with one. But I'm just excited that, that, that pastors, people in ministry, people out there can get a master's and a doctorate degree, really starting to understand really what Jesus lived out. I mean, he lived out the theology of work. So when we had you back on the show in March, we talked about how we can weave the theology of work into our churches. But when the show was over, you and I were talking after the show, we said, okay, let's talk about the next time on how we can help churches do church like the New Testament. Why is it, We talked a little bit at the beginning, but let's just rephrase again why this is such a passion for you. Well, I think one, one reason it's a passion is that I've, for many, many years, uh, been trying to incorporate the, the workplace emphasis into our churches. And I have come to the conclusion that the way we do church is really working against connecting Sunday with Monday. Uh, so that, that really clarifies my passion. And that's and that really is such a, a huge powerful thing. You know, each one of us out there has struggled at one point in our lives or another to connect Sunday to Monday. I mean, it's it's something I struggle with until I until I got introduced to, to Oz Hillman's uh, devotional emails in two thousand and six. I had never ever heard a sermon connecting Sunday to Monday. Yeah, that's the place most people are in. Now, I want to clarify one thing before we get too far in here. And that is that I don't think that we can duplicate the first century church here in the 21st century. You know, many of the issues they faced back then, like uh, eating food offered to idols or consuming blood, those really don't trouble us today. And many of the things that do concern us, uh, such as sacred-secular divide and denominational differences, they'd never heard of in the first century. So we simply can't go back there mechanically. But I, I believe we've drifted away from some of their timeless principles of meeting together. And so when I say we need to do church like the New Testament church, I mean we need to get back to those foundational purposes of meeting together. Well, and I, and I think that's where I really want to go with the conversation. I want this to be an encouragement because a lot of people, we, I, I included, have really struggled with, okay, the, the early church was dynamic. It was, I mean, it was encouraging and people were coming to Christ daily and, and we've lost that emphasis and, and how do we gain it back? What, what is it that we're missing? So when we come back from the break, I really want to talk about what were some of those defining characteristics of what the early church was like? And, and then let's talk about how we can apply them today. Because even though the world is very different today than it was 2000 years ago, there's a lot of things that are very similar. The culture, the, the, uh, 
the the debauchery in the culture is very very similar. Uh, yes, they didn't have church denominations, which they've got that going in their favor, uh, and which is just a fantastic. But you know, we can still work through that. There's everybody. There's a lot of people out there who still believe in Jesus. They just have a couple of different kind of traditions. So I, that's what I really want to talk about. Let's define a, define some of those characteristics so we can start focusing on how can we start making a difference and and how then we can that will impact our workplace. So all right, we're talking with Dr. Larry Peabody about. Well, really, how can we help church today do church like the New Testament church? Larry, before we get into our conversation, you wrote a book. We're going to do our book highlight segment now because I just finished one of your latest books. It may not be your latest one, but it's the latest one that I had from you, Job Shadowing Daniel. What what caused you to write this book? Well, I, uh, before, well, back in, in an earlier life, <laughs> uh I worked for the government here in Washington State. I happened to live in the capital, Olympia, uh, capital of Washington State, and uh, served 11 years in the government. And I guess uh, Daniel uh, attracted me because he worked for probably 70 years for the uh, pagan government of Babylon. And so um, I was quite interested in how did he stay faithful to God over all those decades in a in a workplace that was very unfriendly to his faith and under very under three very different rulers uh maybe yeah. even four and uh you know from nebuchadnezzar who was as prideful as pride can be i mean not many people that god says wow you're pride i've just about i've had enough okay now i have had enough you're gonna go eat grass for seven years and then at the end of that seven, I mean, that's a lot of pride. And then right up to Darius, who who really said, I'm sorry, Daniel, but I got to throw you in the lion's den, but I sure hope your God can save you. And, and it was all, all those 70 years. I mean, most people don't realize our, our pastor's doing a series on us right now. So it's fantastic to read this at the same time. Most people don't realize that Daniel was almost 90 years old or he was 90 years old when he got thrown in the lion's den. Yeah, he'd been around a long time, and um, and like you say, uh, Darius wanted to uh, save him, but couldn't because the law couldn't be changed at that point. Right. So Daniel, Daniel definitely worked in a toxic work environment. So the book is called Job Shadowing Daniel, Walking the Talk at Work by Larry Peabody. Of course, this book highlight segment is brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. Larry, when you wrote this book, we've got 30 seconds left. When you wrote this book, what was the biggest thing that you took away after doing all this research? What was your biggest takeaway? Well, I think that I saw Daniel as uh, the ideal coach or mentor for Christians in the workplace today. And uh, as, as you go through his life and identify his relationship with other believers, with his integrity, uh, the, the spirit empowering that he had, uh, I just thought he made a, an excellent coach for those Christians who were in the workplace in the 21st and I love the way I love the way you put it. I mean, he, he worked in a very in a, in a tough culture, and he gave us some great examples of not caving on your faith because ultimately he understood he worked for his heavenly Father. Welcome back to I Work for Him. I'm Jim Brangenberg, your host for the day. We're running to the one who made me in his hands, and, and we we sometimes just forget about that. We forget about the fact that our heavenly Father's got this figured out. We off so often question like, Lord, what are you thinking? When he already knows, he. he he created time, so he sees the beginning, he sees the end. He's got this figured out. You just need to trust him. He He's the one that inserted your soul into your mother's womb. It's He's got this figured out. Just relax. Relax. Hey, today we are having a fantastic conversation with Dr. Larry Peabody. He's a professor at the Bakke Graduate University out there 
in the Washington, the good one, out there in Washington State, where this time of year it is spectacularly beautiful. We're talking about helping churches do church like the New Testament church. And let's keep in mind, the overall reason I want to have this conversation today is, is as I understand it, the New Testament church rocked culture. It transformed the culture, but it did it in the workplace. And that's how we're going to take this city. That's right. Hey, get that song if you would, Andrea. That'd be great. Take this city. We're going to. Yeah, no, the. Not. You're. Are you. What are you thinking? Like the. No, no. Take the city. It's a new great Christian song. Anyway. Dr. Larry Peabody, rescue me. Let's talk about the uh, the characteristics, the defining characteristics that made the New Testament church thrive. I think uh, probably if, if you had to pick one, it would be unity. Uh, we see that so so clearly in the New Testament church. And John 17 uh, gives us Jesus' prayer that, that his followers would be brought to complete unity. And he said that that unity would let the world know and to believe that uh, God the Father had sent him. So I, I believe unity probably was the thing that rocked the world, as you say, uh, back in those days. Okay, but, but how, world, how do you accomplish well, unity today, though, Larry? I mean, we've got, as you said a little earlier on the show, you know, back then they didn't deal with denominational issues. In fact, the Christians worshipped in the temple, so they, they were still interspersed or intermixed with the Jews. At that point in time, it was just a, uh, it was those people that were, they were basically completed Jews or however you perfected Jews, however you want to put it. Today we've got, I don't even know how many denominations is, but it's like 10,000 denominations. Well, according to uh, figures that I've read, uh, this is from Gordon Conwell Theological Database, there are now 45,000 denominations in the world. <laughs> okay, so it's 4.5 times worse than what I said. 45,000 yeah. denominations. So how do you get unity with 45,000 different approaches to worshiping our Heavenly Father? Well, I, I think that the New Testament Church knew how to live as community, but our default in the United States is to live individualistically. And I think that even our the way we gather, the way we meet on Sundays, still leaves us pretty much as individuals, and we have not learned to live as community. And and it's the living as community, and that was really, I think, how the New Testament church made such a big impact. When you and I live in our communities, if we live in our neighborhoods, we engage our neighbors, we engage the mechanic, we engage the people at the gas station. When we live in our communities, you live in Olympia, Washington, I live in Indian Rocks Beach, Florida. When we engage our community, all of a sudden we've got the ability to impact culture. And that's what the early church did. It engaged the community. They, the people were from every walk of life, and they understood that their faith applied to everything that they were doing. Yeah, and I think the, the primary community, and certainly reaching out to our neighborhoods that we live in is, is vital, but the primary community comes out of Jesus' new command, and he said, a new commandment I give you, and that is you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so it's that it's that <clears throat> love within the Christian community, learning to love each other as Jesus 
loved us. So let's describe that, though, Larry, because last week, excuse me, the week before, and I even, it was on the June 26th, so all of a sudden there was, you know, the, the homosexual community has felt persecuted by the church, and when they got that victory in the Supreme Court, all of a sudden they're like, okay, now we've got it, now we've got the reins, and a lot of Christians lashed out. But that's the the whole reason why the this we've lost this cultural battle is that we stopped loving as Christ. That command, it lost meaning. It just lost meaning because we weren't loving people the way Jesus loved people. I mean, Jesus loved without judgment. He called people away from sin, but he didn't judge them as he loved them. So how, let's describe how that looks. Describe for me in your research, but from your heart, how does it look to love one another as Jesus loved them? Well, I think the way Jesus loved us was by laying down his life for us. And um, we all know John 3.16, but some of us don't really know First John 3.16, which says that we're to, uh, just as Jesus loved us, we're to lay down our lives for one another. And so uh, we we have figured out ways of doing church that doesn't really involve much in the way of laying down our lives for each other. Uh, that That's where community starts, and that's, as we saw in John 17, that's how the world's going to come to know and believe that God the Father sent Jesus. So so let's let's describe how we can so we're describing what the New Testament church looked like. We're talking with Dr. Larry Peabody about how we can help churches today do church like the New Testament church. So describe describe that laying down of our lives for those in our community. How can we what's that look like today? Well, I, I think it uh, it has to look like uh, being honest with one another. Um, in uh, in the book The Church Comes Home, Robert Banks quotes theologian uh, Jürgen Moltmann. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody's going to catch that anyway. It's all right. Yeah, it says the church should be a new kind of living together for human beings that affirms, first of all, that no one is alone with his or her problems, that no one has to conceal his or her, her disabilities, that there are not some who have the say and others who have nothing to say, that neither the old nor the little ones are isolated, that one bears the other even when it is unpleasant and there's no agreement, and that finally the one and also at times leaves the other in peace when the other needs it. So those those are just a few examples of laying down our lives for one another. That's a good that's a good list. I, I like the one we bear with one another. What, what, how did your number four bear with one another even when you disagree? Or you said it a little bit better than that. What did that one say? Pleasant and there's no agreement. When you're yeah, unpleasant, I like that because that's yeah. something that the church really struggles with. We struggle with bearing with one another, especially when they're unpleasant. Uh, you know, we when it's easy, then we do it. But when when because there's people involved, there's often conflict. As we say, obviously there's conflict because there's forty five thousand denominations around the world, and those are mostly created through conflict. And we the way we learn to do church is that if we're if we meet unpleasantness we simply move to another church or we move to the other side of uh, what we call the sanctuary so we don't have to sit near them uh, and so we've we've got to 
pretty easy in the sense that we don't have to put up with each other. So let's so let's take this into a solution-minded mode because we really want to encourage people, okay, here's how we can start engaging this, and start engaging our community, start living like the New Testament church. Let's, let's come up with some real positive things to say uh, because it's, it's very easy to criticize. There's so much, and, I'm, and I tend to sometimes just go down there, I was like, okay, here's where I keep seeing the issues and I go down and I go down and I, but, but, but I am constantly reminded by the scripture, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and a lot of times loving your enemies is easier than praying for those who persecute you because a lot of times the praying for those who persecute you involves people at church. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> enemies seem to be a lot easier to love. And, and certainly, and I, I'm not sure if Jesus was referring to enemies the way I, the way I look at it, but when, I, when he says enemies, because he said, you're either for me or you're against me, I'm thinking about when he said enemies, it's those people that are just against him. Because I, I find it a lot easier to pray for people that are against Jesus and people who say they're for Jesus, yet they're against me. Yeah, and you know, you, you talk about positive ways. Well, let me let me suggest one way. Um, this is something that we did uh, a number of years ago uh, when uh, I was pastoring a church here in town. Um, we took the, the typical communion service and turned it into a real meal. And so we had people sitting at tables where they could face each other and uh of course, we, we made sure that the bread and cup had its significance within that meal, but it was a real meal where people ate together, talked together, and uh, began to learn to know one another. Ooh. So there's one, one example of what we could do. Uh, we might have to take out the pews and put in chairs and tables. But uh, that's possible. That's that's a powerful thing. Getting to know one another. That's now we're talking today with Dr. Larry Peabody, professor at Bakke Graduate University. We're talking about helping churches today do church like the New Testament church. And no, we're not having. We're not trying to recreate the environment back then because you can't. It was two thousand years ago. But we can start to reproduce the things that impacted their community. We can start to do the things that transformed the Roman culture and really transformed the world because people lived their faith at work, in their neighborhoods, in their families, everywhere they went. They just lived for Jesus. Larry, right before the break, we were talking about knowing, getting to know people that you guys do uh, at, at a church where you were, that you you did a community meal in the church and with, with communion as part of it, but they sat at tables looking in each other's eyes, getting to know each other. How significant was that in your church? Oh, it was very significant. It was difficult for some people. In fact, um, at first, uh, I can remember one couple that actually left the church because they wanted to do it with the little tiny cup and the little uh, wafer or the little crumb of bread. But um, after a time, they got used to it and uh, actually became fans of doing it that way. So it's a paradigm shift, as you were saying in the beginning. But uh, uh, we need to make those shifts if we're going to uh, really get back to doing church the way we need to. So getting to know people, that's powerful. Not only getting to know people in our own church. Imagine that, getting to know people in your church. But it's getting to know our neighbors. And that's something that our pastor at our local church here challenged my wife and I, Martha and I, and our whole community to, hey, do you know the names of all of your neighbors? And we live in a, a small townhouse community of 30 people. And that was our goal, to get to know everybody's names so we could pray for them. 
so we can, we can engage them. And, and that's something that we really need to do. That was something that the New Testament church did. They engaged their neighbors. Their neighbors knew that their lives were changing because they were seeing that change. How do we, how did the New Testament church, what's your, what's your, yeah, your idea on how the New Testament church engaged the work culture? How do you think that they were able to transform the Roman culture for Christ? Well, um, some of the some of the scriptures that we have in the New Testament uh, speak about uh, you know doing our work. In fact, it was written to slaves: "Do your work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord." And so, uh, work was work was talked about uh, in in church circles, and uh, it was expected that people would work. In fact, many of the the church leaders back in those days um, kept their kept their jobs, kept their uh, their Whatever, whatever their role was, they, they kept it. For example, uh, Paul made tents, as most of us know. Uh, in the 2nd to the 4th centuries, uh, there was a guy named Spyridon who continued his work as a sheep farmer even while he was serving as bishop of Trimethus. Which uh, I have no idea where that is. But isn't that true of most of the pastors uh, of, really, up until, gosh, the early 1900s, most pastors were bivocational, weren't they? They were, they were doing multiple jobs. They had farms that they were on. Or, I mean, didn't most of them have two jobs? Well, I, I don't know, you know, that particular era, uh, whether that was true. But uh, I do know that it, uh, there are many so-called tent maker pastors today that's how i started pastoring for eight years i was uh, what we call bivocational i had my own business and uh we planted a church so uh it it can happen and i find that usually the people who who uh, do that have a much better sense of of the needs of people in the workplace Yes, I agree, because they've gotten exposure to outside of the church. And that's why I love that, that seminaries today are encouraging pastors to understand business a little bit more. But when you've got a pastor that's been in business or is involved in business and is also preaching and leading, that, that really shifts the paradigm because people understand, wow, this guy knew how to do it in both ways. The church is doing some good things right now. The discipleship wave in our churches today, the, the depth that people are trying to bring the teaching in today's churches is growing and growing and growing. Instead of instead of just uh, you know topics, there's some people really digging into the scriptures and there's a real emphasis on discipleship. What other really good things are going on in the church today that, that mimic what was going on in the New Testament church? Well, I think you know we need to hold on to the scripture as uh, as evangelical churches do. Hold on to the scripture as our authority for faith and practice. Uh, we need to proclaim salvation by faith, you know, through through grace. Uh, we need to teach the word of God. Uh, so all those are good. People need to find forgiveness of sins. All of those are good, and we need not to let go of those at all. You know, I, I totally agree, and that that is just keeping the basics, the basics, and, and a lot of, and just looking at the scriptures as the unfallible word of God, uh, you know, and that inerrant word of God. I guess that's probably what you guys would say in seminary. But that that and what amazed me, we had a conversation yesterday with a guest at Health and who is a pastor at a local church here in Clearwater, and he goes, Jim, I just can't get people to read their Bibles. I can't get people to do devotions in the morning, and I don't know how you can be a Christ follower and not 
totally dive into the scriptures because how do you find out who the Lord is that you have unless you study the scriptures? And so that's been one of the things in my own life. I just try every morning just to get up. And before I let the world take me over, I spend some time in the scriptures, a couple of chapters. I spend some time praying for some people. I, I just spend some quiet time before I get noisy because I'm a noisy person. And Andrea is shaking her head. Yeah, he's noisy. It is, it is just something that I've really focused on. So I just want to challenge people. I understand more about the scriptures because I spend time in the scriptures. And, and that's something that's, that's what the people in the New Testament church were doing as well. They were delving in. They wanted to know more and more and more. That's why Paul was writing the letters. That's why uh, James was writing letters. That's why Peter were writing letters to try to say, hey, this is what the scriptures are saying. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, my wife and I make it a practice uh, every morning to, uh, to spend time reading the scripture together. And then, of course, each of us has our own time uh, individually as well. But uh, it's got to be uh, an intentional thing that we make into a habit, and um, then it uh, it becomes uh, just part of our day, like eating a, eating a meal. You know, a lot of people really struggle, though, Larry, with with how they can connect their faith and work, and how do they even do it? And, and I, th- I think that again is one of the things that the church really could use to work on is just to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in us to help us accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish. A lot of us think, well, I got to just do this on my own. I got to figure this out on my own. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is not about your work. This is about allowing the Holy Spirit to to mold you into the image of Christ and allow that molding process to impact other people. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit is not talked about a lot in churches. And, and so I just challenge people to really dig in. What do the scriptures talk about for the work of the Holy Spirit as a counselor to give us wisdom, to give us the power and encouragement? How do you view how was the Holy Spirit used in the New Testament church as it applies to today? Well, I think uh, part of part of that is the the fact that the New Testament uh, tells us that the Holy Spirit has given a gift or gifts to every individual. And so, as we go back to how do we meet as church, we need to structure our our meetings so that uh, people have the opportunities to use those gifts when we gather. Uh, why why talk about gifts if uh, there's no opportunity to use them? when we get together. You see what I'm saying? I, I absolutely see what you're saying. And that's, again, we just need to encourage churches to be able to look at that. One of the things I encourage a lot of business owners is to do a spiritual gifts assessment, whether somebody is, if they don't know where they are with the Lord, I always tell them, hey, do a, do a disc profile. So look at the personality profile, do a, a love language or appreciation languages in the workplace so you know how you can touch people for Christ. And if they know they have a Christ follower, do a spiritual gifts assessment for your employees. Help them to know who they are, how God designed them. Uh, it's, it's a powerful, powerful tool. And, and you can even open up the eyes to a non-Christ follower, as I call them pre-Christians, by doing a spiritual gifts assessment too. It won't necessarily make as much sense to them, but it'll it'll still make them ask a lot of questions. There's a lot of ways to do it, but people don't have to do, we don't have to do this on our own. Let me just encourage you, as you're listening today, we don't have to do this on their own. The Holy Spirit is there. Jesus said, I'm going to go away and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and He's going to empower you to do not just the things that I've done, but things greater than me. So, Larry, I'll give you the last word. Okay, well, I, I just would come back to the fact that I believe that we, as Christians, need to rebuild our our knowing each other. Uh, there was a pastor who uh, had been in a church for, oh, 30 years or so. People loved him, he loved the people. But in his farewell to the people when he was leaving that church, he said, you know me, 
I know you, but where I have failed is in this. You don't know each other. Mm. And I think that that's uh, where we need to get back to, where, where we really know and love each other the way Jesus loved us. Knowing yeah. each other. Oh, I love that. That is great. Hey, you've got a fantastic website out there I want to plug, called into work, calledintowork.com. You've got all kinds of fantastic resources out there, articles, things that you've written. It, it is a great resource. Check it out, uh, calledintowork.com. All right, we've come to the end of another I Work For Him show, and I want to just challenge you to start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. And, and, and by doing that, I'm asking you to make a commitment to join the I Work For Him nation to make a statement and say, listen, I work for Jesus and I'm willing to do these things to help transform my workplace. And it begins by praying for people by name each and every day. I'm not saying pray for people. I'm not saying being on your knees in your workplace. I'm saying write down all the people you work with every day and just start praying for them. Lord, show me how to serve them. Show me how to minister to them. Show me how to be a friend to them. And, and eventually you'll be given an opportunity to pray with them. And if we're ever going to take this city, if we're ever going to take this city, it's going to start with prayer. She doesn't have the song lined up anywhere. Okay, so we're going to have to take the city song. It's going to be part of next, be part of tomorrow. All right, but why? So go on to the I Work For Him website, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag, and say, I want to join up. While you're on the website, check out our banners. All kinds of incredible things happen in I Work For Him on July the 20th. Check it all out. All the information is out there. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.